I invite you to turn with me, if you'd like to, to John chapter 3. John 3, we'll read verses 16, uh, maybe the most famous verse uh, in the Bible. John 3, 16, down to verse 21, and consider uh, those verses. Before we uh, read it, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, uh, as we come to this uh, familiar passage, we ask that you would uh, uh, enlighten us, that you help us to see uh, new things that maybe we haven't seen before, and that you would uh, remind us of things that we already know but uh, need to be reminded of. That you'd also, maybe more importantly, grow us. That you would uh, hit us right where we are by your Holy Spirit. That you'd show us our sins that need to be repented of. That you would encourage our hearts where we are maybe despairing and discouraged. So that when we leave here uh, after our worship service, we'd be changed. We'd be more and more like Jesus and more uh, equipped to serve you and uh, have a greater desire to serve you as well. And so accompany uh, our time here. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen. All right, uh, John 3, uh, beginning at verse uh, 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. So beloved congregation of Hope Church and everyone with us here um, uh, today, uh, we've uh, uh, been looking at Jesus' interaction with uh, Nicodemus. Uh, you, it's, it's debatable whether or not this is still a quote from Jesus, uh, continuing to interact with Nicodemus, or if the Apostle John has moved on to uh, talk about uh, something else and kind of add commentary, as it were, by the Holy Spirit. But regardless of that, uh, what we've discovered is that when Jesus first confronts Nicodemus, he talks to him about what is impossible for man to do, namely to, to, to give birth to himself. You must be born again in the passive. So we've got God's sovereignty and salvation laid out before us. And then uh, we're, we, we turn to discover that if we're to be saved, we need to look to Jesus and be saved. And in this passage, we need to believe in him. And so uh, Jesus is giving us, as it were, or we're given in the scripture, as it were, the, the other side of the coin. God's sovereign in salvation, he alone gives new birth. It happens by the Holy Spirit. And yet we've got man's responsibility. We're called to believe and to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, both of them go together. And we might be asking, well, how is it even possible that someone can be born again? How is it possible that, that God would allow this? What has to take place? What needs to happen uh, what has God done to make this possible? And we find the answer here in God's love. Here's how it's possible that any of us can be saved. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. He's the one who made this possible. He's the one who accomplished this. God sent His Son into this world, and that's why any of us uh, can be saved. So as we walk through this passage, 
I want us to notice just four things. Uh, I thought about doing a whole sermon series on just the one verse. It's a rich verse, but I think we'll encounter a lot of these same themes throughout the Gospel of John, and we'll have time to, to unfold them. So I want us to notice, first of all, the manner of God's love, the manner of it. Uh, then uh, secondly, the enormity, uh, uh, the magnitude of God's love. Uh, and then uh, third, the danger of God's judgment. And then finally, the evidence of belief. So, so those four things. Uh, beginning with the manner of God's love, um, and we see that in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Um, what I want to focus on uh, right from the start is this little word, uh, so. Um, it's maybe, I don't want to say it's the most important word, but it's certainly a very important word in this, in this verse. Um, we could translate it in a different way. In this way, or in this manner, or like this. So, Here's what John is saying, for God in this way loved the world. Or if we're asking the question, how, how has God demonstrated his love to the world? How does he love the world? Um, in what manner does he love the world? What does it look like? And John is saying, for this is how God loved the world. God in this way loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's how God has loved uh, the world. I want us to notice... Um, and we noticed this a while back when we looked at Malachi 1, and I brought us straight to John 3.16. Um, it's, it's very easy for us as believers to, to forget how God loves us. You know, if we uh, forget it and we start imbibing culture more, what we'll discover is we might start to believe that God loved the world this way, that he gave everyone a three-bedroom house uh, with an attached garage, or that God so loved the world that he provided everyone with three meals a day, or... He made sure our children didn't die young, or he prevented hurricanes and floods from coming to our house. That's how God loves the world. Or he'll prevent airplanes from crashing, or he'll give everybody 80 years of life. You know, if we listen to the world, we might start to think that that's how God really loves people, is that he prevents all those things from happening. And we might think, well, that sounds silly. Um, I don't really believe that. Uh, but just let me ask a few diagnostic questions. Do we question the love of God when, um, when we become sick? Do we question the love of God toward us when we get really sick? Do we start to question the love of God when we, might, when we lose our job? Do we start to question the love of God uh, when our family life is all of a sudden disturbed rather than peaceful? Do we start to question God's love for us uh, when uh, maybe our friends are become few rather than plenty. Uh, if that's the case, then we might have started to buy into is this whole notion uh, that God loved the world by making our lives comfortable and easy. And what John is saying is, let's just get rid of that for a moment. Let me tell you how, how God loved the world. I want every believer to know certainly just uh, hands down exactly how God has displayed his love to the world. It's in this way. He sent his only begotten son. That's how he loved the world, and that's how he loves us uh, as, as uh, his, his people. Um, our biggest problem as human beings is not starvation or violence or poverty or racism. All those things the Word of God speaks to, and we ought to be involved in to whatever extent we can as far as social justice goes as our response to the gospel, but none of those things is our biggest problem. Our biggest problem in this world that we're all born into, we, we all share this in common. Every human being around the world, whether we like them or not, whether they, they like us or not, we all share 
a common problem, and that is we're conceived into this world guilty with God's judgment hanging over our heads unless and until we are born again. We all share that in common. And so God loved the world, the mass of fallen sinners, so much that he decided to send a remedy for that very problem. Uh, let me just drive this home uh, in, a, in a couple different ways. You know, for, for anyone who might be listening uh, who doesn't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, it, again, it might be easy to ask, maybe you've heard teaching on it or whatever, you're saying, hey, I thought that if you believed in Jesus Christ, um, then all of life would go better. Um, I want that, um, and, and I want to be loved by God, so therefore I'm going to believe. If you're tempted with that thought, you want to believe because you want your life to be better, I want to caution you here and just, uh, just lay out in front of you the cost of following Christ. Um, God loved the world and that he sent Jesus into this world to take care of your biggest problem, and your biggest problem and my biggest problem are the same. Uh, it's, it's, it's being eternally condemned by God. It's not that our lives are uncomfortable. That's not our biggest problem. It's not that our lives are difficult. That's not our biggest problem. So I want you to uh, consider uh, the cost of following Christ. It's a high cost. And I want you to follow him. Believe in him. Follow him. Uh, and, 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 and trust in him for your eternal life. Uh, uh, your biggest problem is that right now you're guilty before God uh, if you don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, God has sent a remedy for that. Uh, you need to believe in him. For us as believers, um, you know, if God only took care of us in this life uh, and he gave us a really comfortable life and yet we had to face hell forever, how good would that be? I mean, every pastor, every evangelist, every one of us should stop telling people that we've got good news because that's not good news. It's not good news to tell somebody, hey, you can have a comfortable life, but for 10 million years plus infinity, you will suffer Conscious torment under God's eternal wrath. It will never end and there will be no mercy and no abatement. That, that's not good news. That doesn't, that doesn't benefit anyone on any grand scale at all. So believer, if God only took care, if we're looking to God to take care of all these small problems, we've missed something grand. God decided to take care of a far bigger problem than, than our uncomfortable life and praise Him He did it. Praise God that He actually did it and, and He did it in uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. So how does God love you? God loved you and me by sending Jesus to suffer hell in our place so that we would never, ever have to go there, ever. And by believing in him, we won't. That is what John is trying to get us to see. <laughs> this massive thing that, that God has done for us that sometimes we can maybe take for granted. Uh, it's no small thing to deliver a people from hell. It's no small thing to deliver a people from eternal justice that we rightly deserve to face. And yet God has done uh, just that. Uh, I want us to see, secondly, uh, the enormity of God's love. Uh, and this is really just found in, in the language monogonase or only begotten son or one and only son, or you could also translate it unique son. Uh, the son that is like no other son uh, could, could be a translation. Um, and I want us to, uh, and I'm also going to point out a few things. Um, the first is the language of the world. For God so loved the world that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. So there's a couple things uh, in, in the enormity of God's love. The first one, I want to look at just the availability of God's love. So how enormous is it? It's, it's so enormous. It's available to whoever believes. And it's a love that's demonstrated to the world. Now there, 
or some who view John's use of the word world rather uh, constrictively to mean uh, kind of whatever it is they want it to mean. Um, uh, if John intended for us to uh, get from this that God so loved every single individual person uh, that he saved them, then he would have said that. But when John uses the language world, it takes a little bit of uh, understanding regarding what he's speaking about, uh, uh, what he means with regard to the word world. If you turn back to John 1.10, he used the word world this way. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Now, right there, he's using the world referring to the earth, to the earth, and then to the fallen people on the planet. So the meaning changed in one verse. So the world or fallen people did not know him. So he's using uh, the word uh, there to, to refer to fallen people. In John 12, 19, we're told the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now, they don't mean that every single human being in the world has gone after him. They just mean that a lot of people have gone after him. So when John uses the word world, uh, it doesn't mean what we in 2020 might want to assign as far as meaning into it. Uh, the meaning can be, can be varied. So when God, John writes, for God so loved the world, he's not saying that God saved everybody or will save everybody. Otherwise, he wouldn't be, have written verses 18 and verses 36, which talk about being condemned if we don't believe. Uh, what does John mean uh, by, by the world? Uh, simply this, fallen humanity. The world, the, 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 the whole earth that's filled of people rejecting Christ. Uh, the people who've responded to Christ when he came into this world uh, and saying we didn't know him, uh, we don't like the light, we like the darkness. That's all of us. It's fallen humanity. That's what John's referring to when he talks about the world. How did God love fallen humanity? How, does he, how did he love the mass of sinners in this world uh, in their fallen state? He loved us by sending his own son into the world. That whoever believes, again, this language is almost boggling to the mind. Uh, it, it's, it's hard to turn this around to mean uh, something other than what it means. God so loved fallen human beings that whoever believes uh, will have eternal life and will not perish there is room in that word, whoever, for the worst of sinners. No one is excluded in this language. It is just the open-ended gospel that John is telling us about. It's maybe, maybe the reason why this is arguably still, maybe, although maybe Matthew 7 has eclipsed this as the most famous verse in the Bible, judge not that ye be not judged. But regardless, this is one of the reasons why this Bible verse is so famous, uh, because it opens the door to whoever, to the worst of people. It, it, you want to know who it doesn't open the door to? It doesn't open the door to people who don't think they need it. Like, and Nicodemus is an example of this. And people have pointed that out. It shuts out Pharisees. And yet it opens the door to them. Because here comes Nicodemus who thinks he's in. And Christ tells him he's not in. <laughs> and eventually Nicodemus ends up in. <laughs> because by the end of the Gospel of John, Nicodemus is, a, is by all accounts a Christian. And so the door is open even to Pharisees. The door is open to every single human being in the world. It's amazing, beloved, how wide this gospel goes out to whoever believes. And so there, you know, there's sometimes people who say, I, I've, I've just blown it. I've lived self-righteously so long. I've clung to my own righteousness. And there's no way that there's room at the cross for me. And there is room. Whoever believes. The Apostle Paul probably had you topped as far as self-righteousness goes. Nicodemus probably had you topped. And yet he believes. He's going to believe. Uh, the door, it, it swings the door open to the worst of sinners morally, saying, you know what? 
all my, uh, my background sexually, drug use, uh, murdering. I'm not just, not just hate, pulled the trigger. Uh, all the things politically that we might talk about uh, that, that, we, that we don't want to happen in society. Someone might come and say, I participated in pretty much all of them. And yet this gospel goes out and says, whoever believes. So we look at them and we say, I don't care what you've done in the past. If you believe, then you have eternal life and you're saved. Oh, but this is such incredible news. This is news for all of us. It's news that all of us accepted at one point as born again Christians. We said, yep, I'm a sinner. I know that. I'm part of the world, part of fallen humanity. I was born as a child of Adam, born, born guilty, and I believe, and therefore I am saved. And when we ask, sometimes people ask, what is believing? You know, in the Reformation, this was kind of uh, the whole notion of faith, belief, was kind of parsed out in uh, arguably a helpful way. And I was parsed out in these ways. Faith consists of notitia or uh, facts, a census, our belief in those facts, and then fiducia, which is resting or trusting our life on those facts. And it can be akin to, uh, uh, let's use bungee jumping, for example. Um, uh, notitia, knowledge, the facts of the gospel, the facts of, about redemption, would be looking at the whole bungee jumping episode saying, I know the bungee is strong enough to hold a person. Just a fact. The bungee cord is rated to hold uh, a person up to like a thousand pounds. Well, I weigh X, which is less than a thousand pounds. Therefore, uh, it, it's able to hold people. The a census would be to, to move on from just the facts to, I believe the bungee is strong enough to hold me. That's now assenting to it. I believe not just that it can hold a person, but that it can also hold me. But faith hasn't yet happened yet. Faith happens, the fiducia part, when you put the harness on, you walk to the edge and you jump. And all of a sudden what you know to be true and what you know to be true for you now becomes faith in action. I took the leap. What is it to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? We know he's God. We know he's 100% man. We know he came to save sinners. Secondly, I assent to it. I'm a sinner. I believe that he can save me. The third, you jump. You take the leap. You say, I believe. I'm in. You're my savior, I'm the sinner you're saving, and, and I take your righteousness and I give you all my sin and thank you for this exchange. Thank you for making this possible for me. Thank you for doing this for me. Thank you for accomplishing my redemption. That's what it is to take the leap. That's what it is to believe. It's to wholeheartedly trust in a Christ that we know. Um, and, and that's what we're called to do here is simply uh, believe. Well, I wanna uh, notice um, A second aspect of the enormity of God's love. So first, the availability of it. It's for whoever believes. The second aspect of it is um, the cost of God's love. How enormous is this, the cost? So I mentioned before already, uh, the language of one and only son or only begotten son uh, can also be translated unique son or uh, a son like no other. And so what we're told here is that God so loved fallen sinners in this way. He loved them in that he gave his most prized possession, his unique son. There's nobody like him. Uh, you can we can never duplicate him. All creation uh, 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 would just bow before him. He's, he's so great, so majestic. God gave him uh, in order to redeem us and give us eternal life. God gave him in order that we could be saved. It's been said that the measure of someone's love is gauged by what it costs them. 
You know, if you have a spouse that's easy to love, you don't necessarily know how much you love them. The way you find out how much you love your spouse or how much you love your child or how much you love your friend, right, is, in, is found in this, when they become really difficult. Then you find out whether what you thought was love is really like versus love. Because love uh, sacrifices itself for the well-being of someone else. And you never know how much you love until you see how much you're willing to, uh, how much cost you're willing to bear. Same thing with being loved. We never know how much somebody loves us until we become really difficult to love. Then we find out how difficult are we to love. Well, in order to love us and have a relationship with us, people like us, God had to send his only son. God had to send him. And he did it. I mean, this is beyond imagination. God did this. The price to get us in heaven, the price for us to have eternal life was God's son. Now, I don't know how much you prize your children, but who of us would sacrifice one of our children to establish a relationship with somebody who today wants to cut your head off and is your enemy? None of us, right? What parent would do that? We'd probably be, we'd probably be considered crazy. Well, look at the enormity of God's love. He didn't think of too much expense to bear. I want these people in heaven. They can't stand my guts. They hate me. They're my enemies, but I wanna make them friends. And here's how much I want them to be my friends. Here's how much I want them in heaven praising me. Here's how much I want to have a relationship with them. I'll send my only son. That says a lot about God. It says a lot about his love. It says almost nothing about us. It says a lot about God. That's how much he loves you and me. That's how much he cares for you and me. And something else about the enormity of God's love that stands out uh, is the value of the, of the one being loved uh, in the eyes of the one loving is gauged by the love's cost. So, uh, you remember the pearl of great price, um, uh, uh, the value that was placed um, uh, on that pearl uh, was what was demonstrated by how much the person just sell out everything they had. They sold everything they had to get that pearl of great price. The pearl of great price was so valuable, they couldn't live without it. They said, I don't care what it costs me, I'll go bankrupt, I'll go broke. Sell everything I got, I got to get that pearl. Love it in... in in, in an incredible way, it's, it, I, I, I just, I don't know how to comprehend it. God found us in our salvation so valuable and a relationship with us so valuable when we were his enemies and worthless before him that he said, I don't care what the cost is. My son, done. Sending my son to redeem them, I'll do it. Jesus, that's what it takes. I have to go die for them. I'm in. Father, your decree, you make it. I'm doing whatever you want me to do, I'm doing Let's go redeem these people. Isn't this incredible love? You can't find love like this anywhere. Who does this for people who can't stand their guts? Who does this for enemies? Who does this for the world, for fallen sinners? God does it. He does it for people like you and me. He didn't withhold his only son so that we could be saved. If we're sitting here as believers and we're downcast and we're discouraged, a passage like this, gives us every reason. It's not a magical flip the switch cure for depression, for discouragement. It's not. But it gives us every reason to actually have hope. If we're lacking love, if we're feeling in a thousand different ways in a difficult spot, you can't turn to God and have that same, and, and think those same things. Man, there's nothing encouraging here. You see how God loves you and that he'd pay his only son just to get you in heaven. 
that communicates, you're this valuable to me. Your worship, your praise, your presence in my presence, it's so valuable to me that I'll send my only son uh, just to get you here. So if we're discouraged, we're downcast, at least have hope in this, at least delight your heart in this, that there's one person, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the triune God, desires you to be in heaven and paid a fortune, an infinite fortune to bring you there. So let that be an encouragement to your heart and soul in the midst of a life that's, that's filled with a lot of discouragements. And uh, let me conclude, well, no, I guess thirdly, uh, the danger of God's judgment. We'll look at this next, the danger of God's judgment. And the danger is that we people perish under abiding wrath without uh, faith. Um, in this passage, I want to draw your attention to verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already. Uh, John, I don't know what John's speaking to and why he throws in that word already. But what some people have noticed, I think there's something to it, is this. That some people might think that when they're born into this world, and when they're born into the world, the jury's out whether or not they go to heaven or hell. And they come into this world, and the goal of life in this world, in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, all the way till you die, is to try and convince God uh, to give you eternal life, and to give Him enough reasons to do that, and to avoid Him condemning you. And so people live their lives decade after decade trying to add to the, to the, the good side of the balance beam and, and subtract from the bad side. And when they add to the bad side, they're doing more sin than good. Then they, then they all of a sudden, hey, I got to add more good works. And they're hoping that when they end their life, there's more good uh, over on this side of the balance beam than there is bad. And so they think the jury's still out. And what John says is that anyone who doesn't believe is already condemned. There's no balance beam there's no wondering, am I condemned? Am I not condemned in this world? He's saying this, if you don't believe in Jesus, the verdict's already been in and, and rendered. If you don't believe in Jesus, then right now you stand condemned. The, 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 it, there's not a question of it. There's not divine and decisiveness. Well, I'm not sure what to do with this person. They're pretty good some days. They're not good other days. I'm not sure. We'll see what, how their life ends up. When we are conceived into this world, we're under the sentence of condemnation. We're condemned already until and unless we are born again. So if there's any of us thinking, you know, God doesn't mind my life outside of Christ. He's indecisive. He's not really made a decision and maybe he'll vote in my favor. A passage like this actually uh, uh, says, no, that's not the case. That's not how God operates. Edward Payson, a uh, 19th century American pastor, uh, meditated on uh, Psalm 7, verse 11, God is angry with the wicked every day. And he said these things. I think it's helpful in this context of being condemned already. He is angry to see rational, immortal, and accountable beings spending 20, 40, or 60 years in trifling and sin, serving diverse idols, lusts, and vanities, and living as if death were an eternal sleep. He is angry to see that you disregard alike his threatening and his promises, his judgments and his mercies, that you bury in the earth the talents he has given you and bring forth no fruit to his glory, that you neglect his word, his spirit, and his law and perish in unrepentance and unbelief, notwithstanding all the means employed for your conversion. He is angry to see you trusting in your own wisdom, strength, and righteousness for salvation instead of placing your dependence on Christ, the only name by which you can possibly be saved. These are sins of which every person in an unconverted state is guilty, and for these things God is angry, daily angry, 
greatly and justly angry. And unless his anger be speedily appeased, it will most certainly prove your destruction. Again, just giving testimony to the fact that all of us are born to this world, we're condemned already on account of how we're living. And unless we're born again, uh, we do not have uh, eternal life. If there's any people in this room, any listening, any people that we know who think the jury's still out, what John is saying is the jury's not out. At this moment, if you don't believe in Jesus, you stand condemned. If we don't believe, anybody doesn't believe in Jesus, they stand condemned. That's how this works. There's no point in trying to live life as a balance beam. That's no way out. It's either believe or uh, don't believe. Um, uh, it's either trust in Christ or uh, don't trust in Christ. The only way out of condemnation is to believe in Jesus. It's not to do uh, anything at all. And I want to mention as well something else. There's only one reason that people end up in hell, end up under this judgment, uh, end up under this, this horrible verdict of condemnation. There's only one reason people end up there. And it's not because of their sin. It's because they refuse to believe in Jesus. Sometimes people think, well, you know, uh, the sins the Christians are talking about, which are really significant, I've committed those, therefore I can't have eternal life. And we would respond saying, no, you can have eternal life. The issue, the reason why you don't is because you don't believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, you have eternal life, you will get it. So trust in him. And no one is excluded, excluded from eternal life because of sin. We're Christians and we still sin. And we have eternal life because we believe in Jesus. The main issue for every human being isn't how much sin have you committed? Which ones have you committed? How many consequences are you facing on account of the sins you've committed? And how much damage have you done to other people by the sins you've committed? That's not the issue. The issue is do you or do you not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? If you don't, you're condemned already. But this day, if you do, you will be saved. So we're calling people to repent and to believe in Jesus and be saved. I love that hymn, there's room at the cross for you, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. The only reason someone won't get into heaven is because they didn't believe in Jesus Christ. That's it. Christ's, Christ's salvation, his, his atonement is sufficient to save every single human being. There is more than enough room in the blood of Christ. The only reason someone has for not being saved is because they refuse to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whoever believes will uh, not be condemned, but will have eternal life. And then finally, let's close with this, uh, verses 19 through 21, where we see the evidence of belief. Uh, verse 19, and this is the judgment, or this is how the judging process works. The light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So we've got, let's call it the darkness group and the light group, all right? The darkness group, uh, we find in verse 19, the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Because they know for, who everyone, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. So two things regarding the darkness group. They love their sin. They enjoy it. They don't want to give it up. Uh, they, they loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. They love their sin. They don't want to give it up. That, that's what it is to be in the darkness group. 
following Christ, uh, some people will ask, well, you know, I'd follow the Lord Jesus Christ if, if he didn't teach this regarding sexuality. No way I can swallow that. I would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ if he didn't say this about money. No way I can, no way I can be generous with other people. I would follow the Lord Jesus Christ if he didn't say this about my favorite sin. I like to, I like to gossip. I'd follow the Lord Jesus Christ if I can do whatever I want in my spare time. My enjoyment's my enjoyment. He can stay out of it. And what Jesus is saying, that's why people won't come to the light. Because they'd rather live in their sin than come to Jesus Christ. The cost is too much. That's The people in darkness don't want to come uh, because it means they'd have to give up their sin. And that's exactly what it means to come to Christ. When you see Him in all of His glory, you're saying you're way more valuable, way more meaningful, way more powerful uh, uh, to me than all of my sin. I want to be done with all of my sin. It is no pleasure compared to knowing you. It is nothing compared to loving you and being in a relationship with you and having eternal life when this life is all over. Uh, that's what it is to come to Christ. And people in the darkness say, it's not worth it. I'd rather have my sin than eternal life. I'd rather have my sin than have to follow Jesus and pick up my cross and deny myself. I don't want to deny myself anything. But something else about the darkness group is that they don't want to be exposed for, uh, uh, for what they uh, really are. Uh, if you look at uh, the verse, for everyone who does Wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. So even if their sin was destroying them, even if their life was miserable, they don't want to be exposed. They don't want people to really know how bad uh, things are in their life. They don't, they don't want to be exposed. And then there's the light group. Uh, this group, uh, um, uh, whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. These are true believers and these are those who are not afraid of the light. Why are believers not afraid of the light? Number one, because we have already been exposed. Because when we came to Christ, we've already said, yep, I'm a sinner. And we, we say that every time we come to the Lord's Supper, I'm a sinner, his body was broken for me, his blood was shed so my sins could be forgiven. So as believers, we've already been exposed. We're not afraid of being exposed. Now, we might be to a certain extent. It's not like we want the whole world to know on a blimp, here's what... I did last week, and here's the things I thought. That would probably hurt. But at the same time, we've already been exposed. We've outed ourselves, and we say it every time. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus to be saved. That's a reality for every Christian. We've already been exposed. We don't mind the light. We love the light. We want to be exposed. We don't want to live in our sin anymore. So that, that's characteristic of people in the light. And also, since we have been saved and we've, we've committed ourselves to a life of good works, uh, carried out in God, to use the language here in the passage. And so when the light comes, we don't mind having the things that we've done be exposed. Uh, we've been doing a lot of things that we should have been doing. We've been doing the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should be walking in. And so when light comes, we're, we're, we're not afraid of being exposed in our sin. We're also not afraid of the good that we've done uh, because this is what God gave us to do. And so we can stand before him and, uh, and be thankful for what he gave us to do. So I want to I want to just mention a couple things by way of application and then close. If if you're in the dark group and you're not a believer, the pain of being exposed in this life in your sin is infinitely smaller than the pain that will come of being exposed on the last day in your sin. You'll experience pain in being exposed before other people in the here and now. It, it'll be painful. You'll you'll feel it. It'll be difficult. 
People will see you when you admit your sin. They'll see you for who you really are and you'll go before God who made you and, and He'll see you for who you really are. You'll know it. He's always seen you for who you really are. But that's nothing. That pain is nothing in this life compared to the pain of facing God in judgment in the same way on account of your sins, but finding out that it's too late, there's no more mercy, and now there's just an eternity under His wrath to look forward to and to be consciously tormented underneath. So I, I encourage you, if you're in the dark group, I urge you, just believe in Jesus. Come to the light. Be exposed. Repent of your sins and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. There will never, ever be a day in heaven that you regret that, ever. I'm guessing there will never be a day in this life that you regret that either. Because once you come to Christ, you can see that though our sins are great, His sacrifice is greater still. And though we've got a lot wrong with us, there is so much right with Him, so much righteousness, that it gets credited to our account. And you're counted before God as perfect as Jesus. That's what's offered to you. I, I just encourage you, believe. I urge you to believe in Jesus Christ. And for those of us who are uh, Christians, um, uh, just uh, maybe, maybe an application is this. Just rest um, in the assurance that God has given you a son and that you will never have to face condemnation because he faced it for you. Um, you know, we like to talk about heroes in this life, um, people who stand up and do courageous things and amazing things, and people do that. They do it in war. They do it in life. Um, someone's in danger. They come to the rescue. Uh, beloved, Jesus is the hero, capital H. He's our hero. Uh, we were in a dangerous spot, a horrible spot that didn't just have consequences for this life, but consequences forever. That, like, it doesn't stop forever. And Jesus showed up and said, I'm going to deliver them. God the Father said, here's the plan. The Son said, I'm in. The Holy Spirit, I'll take it to them. I'll give them new hearts and bring them in. That's what God's done for us. He's the hero, capital H, who showed up and said, you guys are in a really tough spot. You ain't getting out unless I act. And I'm here to deliver. I'm here to save. And I'm here to rescue. And by the way, you got to believe in my Son to be rescued. And I'll give you the gift of faith. I'll even give you belief so that you can be saved. Love it, love it. We get to live not just this life, but eternity, praising God for this. And just one more thing I wanted to point out and forgot to mention. Uh, everyone who believes in Him has eternal life. I know, you know, we live in America here where we have so much health care so that we can, be, we can be comfortable. We, to the, well, not always, but we can try really hard. And we have so many blessings that we can be spoiled and our life can look really good and we like to focus on this life, the abundant life now, right? That's, that's what we all want. In other countries where they're impoverished and they don't have this, they don't, that, doesn't, that doesn't even occur to them as a possibility. And I want us to see what John is talking about here, eternal life. That's not this life, it's the next one. If we believe in Jesus, we have life eternal in heaven and that's the blessing. How did God love you and me? Not by giving you and I the most comfortable life here and now. He loved us by sending his son so that if we believe in him, we can have eternal life in heaven. That's how he loved us. Let us not forget it. Our life may crash here. It may be difficult, but we haven't lost our eternal life. And that's how God's loved us. Let's pray.